Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the How To Money podcast, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. I'm Kate, your host, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Julia Lee, who is an equity strategist at Bell Direct. In this episode, Julia and I have a great chat about the new financial year coming up next week and everything you can do to get your finances on track so you can smash those financial goals. Now, just a reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do need some assistance, please seek the help of a qualified professional and do your own research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Julia Lee talking about the new financial year. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for joining me on the How To Money podcast today. Such a pleasure, Kate. Now, I know we've got you on here as a specialist, and I'd love to talk to you a bit about what's happening in the new financial year and getting yourself set up. But before I dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about you and what you do day to day. Uh, so I'm Julia Lee. I'm an equity strategist at Bell Direct, and I really have a passion for Australian shares. Uh, the lucky part of my day is that I get to read about these amazing companies that are doing uh, sometimes amazing things um, either in the area of healthcare or in the area of technology or um, in terms of shaking things up a little bit. So I, I love the share market and I love investing. <laughs> yep, so particularly in innovation and things like that. Yeah, I, for me it's a story of um, I guess companies and how they're growing and really what's gaining traction in terms of the marketplace. So I love reading about fascinating stories. I remember, you know, when Afterpay was just coming to the market and this whole concept of pay now, buy later was just an incredible one, especially because I'm a big fan of behavioral finance as well. And there's Mm -hmm. something in behavioral finance called the pain of paying, which says um, the more difficult it is to pay for something, the less money you're likely to spend. So obviously the most difficult way to pay for something is through cold hard cash and then it becomes easier to pay for something as you get a credit card or a debit card or as you pay pass and then after pay takes it to a whole nother level where you get the goods even before you pay and there have been studies done on the pain of paying which show that um, 
the easier it is to pay for something, the less your inhibitions are and the less self-control you have. So they had this amazing academic study which showed that um, the less painful it is to pay for something, the more unhealthy choices we tend to make when we go grocery shopping. So people tended mm-hmm. to buy lollies and chips. And I guess when we're looking at something like Afterpay, I'm sure a lot of people probably buy things that they may not buy if they had to fork out their own cold, hard cash out of their wallets and physically hand it over. Mm, You definitely realise the difference when someone else is paying for something, you're suddenly making different choices (laughs) as to what you're going to eat or It's like a buffet versus, you know, going to order at a cafe where you're paying for every item yourself, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely changing the way we spend. We're coming up to a brand new financial year and it's always a great time to set new goals and sort of have your New Year's resolutions 2.0 essentially. Now, I'd love to hear your ideas on what young Australians should be thinking about leading up and entering the new financial year and any tips you have. Well, the number one thing, um, if you don't remember anything in this podcast, please remember just this part because I think it's absolutely essential to building long-term wealth. Most of us actually overestimate our level of self-control, like we mean to go down to the pub with our friends for one drink and instead turns into three or, you know, we only intended to buy one pair of shoes, but somehow we've got six. Um, and it's the same when it comes to money. We usually have the right intentions, but then don't actually end up achieving our goals. So the best way to save money and create wealth is actually not to think about it. If you like, even to automate it. So every single time you get paid, a certain percentage goes into an investment account that you pretty much never spend, don't look at and just forget about. Don't do it at the end of your pay run when you're just with the money left over. Do it even before you start spending on anything and lock it away on a regular basis. And that's the key to building long-term wealth, to do that consistently um, and try not to think about it and just automate that process. Mm, Small bits, lots of times. Yes, absolutely. It's the whole power of compounding that um, that these this this little ball rolls into a massive snowball and continues uh, to gain its own momentum and almost its own life um, as time passes by. And it's just such an amazing concept. Um, And it's pretty easy. It just means starting small and doing it on a regular basis. Mm, so you definitely say getting into a new financial gear, it's a great time to get started with a new savings investing plan. Absolutely. I mean, I guess it's like um, New Year's where we see a new year uh, turnover and we set our goals and what we'd like to achieve for the year. Also, um, some people receive a bit of a return back from the tax office at the end of financial mm-hmm. year when you lodge your tax return. So that can give you a little bit of a kickstart into uh, investing as well. Well, I guess if you have a look at windfalls like that coming through from things like tax returns, often our brains can think about it a little bit differently and treat it like a windfall. And windfalls like, you know, money you might get back from a tax return or, 
you know, an, an inheritance or lotto, sometimes is mentally accounted for a little bit differently by the brain. And we often think of it as free money. So the key is when you get money like that, don't just think of it as free money and go out and spend it, but treat it like your normal money, like your hard-earned cash and put it to use. So putting it into your investment account is a great way to think about it and really give you a kickstart into setting yourself up securely for the future. Mm, I think it's important thinking about it not as free money because oftentimes it's just your tax. Maybe you've overpaid during the year or you've got a refund because you've uh, had some uh, education expenses. So it's actually your money coming back. It is definitely your money. Um, And, you know, $100 should be $100. There shouldn't be any difference in how you received it to how you treat it. Um, And it's just a bit of a quirk of the brain. And the key is if you know about it, then you can combat it and really um, use that money to um, hopefully get that power of compounding working. Potentially using your tax return, and if it is more substantial, to maybe set up and buy your first uh, share or ETF if you're in that position. Absolutely. So, I, um, when you're buying your first share um, or your first exchange trader fund, the minimum investment for something on the Australian share market is $500. So, my first investment into the Australian share market was $500. You do need to uh, sign up with a broker. So, you can sign up with an online broker. Most of that process is online now. And look, you can trade from as little as $15 um, at places like Dell Direct where I work. Um, so, you know, the cost of trading is pretty cheap and it is pretty accessible as well. But $500 is the minimum for that first investment into a single investment. And after that, if you want to add to a share that you already hold, you can put as little as a dollar in. It doesn't matter. But for that initial investment, it needs to be $500. Yeah, it's it's really quite low um, compared to probably what it used to be. And it makes it a lot more accessible for young people to get invested. Absolutely. I mean, costs have come down uh, substantially over the last couple of decades. Um, and $15 a trade, that's, you know, how much most people spend on their coffee for the week. So um, it definitely is accessible um, and it's not hard to do as well. So I think the key is to get started. And I find that when people invest in the market and they have skin in the game, then um, they become more interested in the market and suddenly they start to see things more related to the market and learn more about the market. So I think it's about that excitement that comes with actually having investments in the market, which also kickstarts learning about the market as well. Yeah. And often I tell friends sort of if you can look at it from an external point of view and maybe paper trade, but you don't really learn that much until you put some of your money in the game? I think it's when your money is actually in the game that you, you know, get those heart palpitations and <laughs> a little bit nervous or the excitement that comes with being in the market, which is a great motivator for learning about money and learning about investments. Paper trading is great once you've got um, a strategy you want to test. Um, but if you are looking to learn, um, there's nothing like having your actual cash in the market to become interested in the market. You don't have to start off with a big sum. As I mentioned, I started off with $500. And as you gain more and more confident, you add more and more money to the market. Mm, I think I started with something really boring like Telstra, but because <laughs> I didn't know anything else okay. at the time. Telstra's not too boring at the moment. In fact, we're coming up to the end of the financial year and the best performing sector on the Australian share market is communications. And that's because of Telstra. The share price of Telstra actually in the last one year, so the financial year to date, is up more than 40%. And that's not including its dividend. 
Mm, wow, that's pretty impressive. So maybe I should be interviewing you about <laughs> stock tips. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got out of that one because I had no idea what I was doing at the time. Um, but, you know, I guess in terms of thinking about stocks, um, most things move in cycles. So you may not hold a stock forever, um, but most things in life move in cycles and a lot of things in terms of the business cycle also moves in cycles as well. So for an, an example is um, agricultural stocks. Often the general rule of thumb is that you buy agricultural stocks in times of drought and you sell them when you get a run of good weather um, because <laughs> you know that weather does tend to be cyclical um, and that drought doesn't last forever and good weather doesn't last forever either. Now, another important thing is setting setting goals. So we've pretty much made it halfway through the year now. So it's a, it's a great time to set up goals for the next sort of six to 12 months. Now, do you have any sort of strategies or tips to share about setting good financial goals for the upcoming financial year? Sure. I mean, when, when it comes to goals, um, I guess people have different types of goals, whether it is to save for a holiday, save for a car, save for a house, save for financial security. So um, I often think about it in terms of buckets. So when you're looking at goals, you have your short-term buckets, your medium-term buckets, and your long-term buckets, and you get you put money into those buckets and you might have a different strategy around both saving and investing as well as how you spend that type of money. So um, that often helps to clarify. So investing doesn't all have to be in just one bucket. You might have lots of little buckets. So a short-term goal might be a holiday, a medium-term goal might be a new car and a longer-term goal might be a new house. But hopefully having those buckets means that you can have different goals running at the same time with different investment horizons. Mm. Now, I know automation with your savings and investing can be really helpful when it comes to that. Absolutely. So, um, you don't have, even have to think of it as different buckets, but you can have uh, different bank accounts or different um, accounts that help you with that as well. So, for example, on the safer end of the spectrum, when you're saving for shorter-term goals, generally you don't want your investments to fluctuate a lot. You don't want them to move up and down because um, – you definitely don't want to make a loss when you're cashing out those type of investments. So the shorter your time frame, generally you don't want to take as much risk. So you want to be in things like cash or fixed interest. So you want to be in things like a cash management trust or a term deposit. As you get longer up the um, time frame for saving and investing, um, for example, for a house, then you can afford to take on a bit more risk and you want to because you have that longer time frame. Um, that, that higher risk should result in higher returns um, over time. So then you might look at things like the share market or uh, property investments to try and help achieve those longer-term goals. So depending on whether you're looking at short-term goals or long-term goals, uh, it can also impact on the amount of risk you might be willing to take in those type of investments. Mm, so it's really about setting out what exactly you want to achieve in the short and longer term and then working out how you can achieve that uh, with the right level of risk for each relevant time frame. Yeah, so generally uh, the lower the risk, the lower the potential return and the higher the risk, the higher the potential return. So setting yourself up for financial success in the next year, um, I don't know if you have any great resources that you recommend to my listeners because a lot of people want to start learning about their personal finances in the new financial year and where do you recommend starting? 
I think the best place where I started was a lot of um, reading, so books. Um, There's great podcasts out there on the market as well, like this one, uh, where you can get lots of tips uh, as well. It depends on where your passion is as well. For me, my passion was the Australian share market. Um, So I pursued a lot of books on um, reading about investing and successful investors Um, and you know, reading about those investors and especially the mistakes that they made taught me a lot about risk management and how to be successful in terms of investing. Um, so, look, I think definitely books and podcasts. Um, and, look, the other thing I kept in mind was um, that learning the lessons on how to invest probably wouldn't happen overnight. Um, I acknowledged that learning any new skill usually takes about two to three years. So I, I told myself that it was okay to make mistakes when it was investing, when I was starting out to invest. I gave myself two to three years to invest and really not judge myself, but for me, it was more about learning the lessons. And I kept a notebook on all my trades that were successful and unsuccessful. And I wrote down why I thought they were successful or unsuccessful. And my reasoning was that if I learned this skill um, on how to invest my money, it would be a skill that I can use for the rest of my life. Um, Mm. So I didn't start out with the goal of making as much money as possible, which a lot of people do. (laughs) And unfortunately, if you start off with that type of goal, as I mentioned, the higher the risk, the higher the potential return. You can end up getting a bit in over (laughs) your head. Yeah, people tend to start very high up the risk curve and it can be quite difficult if you're a novice investor. So I would say... um, you know, start off um, small, start off on the lower end of the risk curve. And as you gain confidence, then add in more products and higher risk type of products. But, you know, I look at the first um, two years as uh, a great grounding for the rest of my life. Um, And that's really the way um, I chose to approach it. Mm, And keeping notes of what you're doing and what works and sort of reflecting on that's a really good idea. I I haven't actually personally done that myself, but I I can understand that it would be really helpful to sort of reflect on what worked and what didn't and sort of learn from your mistakes because you don't really want to be repeating them twice when your money's on the line. Absolutely. Um, And I found it really fascinating that I didn't only learn things about investing in shares in the share market. I learned a lot about myself. I learned Mm. um, how comfortable I was with my money going up or down um, and whether I started to, you know, become a little bit more brazen and take more risk, um, taking, take on more risk, riskier behaviours as I started mm-hmm. making more money. And then I quickly learned that, you know, if I didn't have, uh, I guess, a strategy in place to control and, um, I guess, figure out when I was going to exit uh, positions, that often that I could end up losing out a lot as well. So I learned um, a lot about how much risk I was willing to take and, um, you know, the level that I felt comfortable sleeping at night and the level where I had, you know, sleepless nights, which was an important lesson to learn as well. Mm, Because there's so much emotion involved with investing and you definitely want to be able to sleep at night. Yeah, um, I often call it the sleep at night factor when you're looking at um, the amount of risk you should take in the market. And, um, you know, you could have the best investment in the world, but if you panic at the wrong time because, you know, you can't sleep and then, you know, you get worked up, then you might miss out on that investment opportunity. The general rule of thumb is that, you know, in markets you want to buy low and sell high. But in actual fact, um, most people end up doing the opposite. They Mm -hmm. buy when, you know, all their friends are telling them how much they've made on, you know, maybe cryptocurrencies or the property portfolio or the share market. And that's probably precisely the 
time they should mm-hmm. be looking at maybe selling some of their portfolio. And then they end up, um, you know, selling when, you know, the newspapers are talking about how things have crashed, the share market has crashed, you know, this many billions of dollars have been lost. When in actual reality, that's probably the best time to look at potentially getting back into the market. So I often call it the taxi driver indicator. <laughs> and that, that is that, you know, uh, taxi drivers are, are usually looking for ways to make money. And if I jump into a taxi and there a lot of taxi drivers um, during when cryptocurrencies were doing really well were telling me about this cryptocurrency and that cryptocurrency. And for me, that was a signal that perhaps mm-hmm. um, anyone holding cryptocurrencies should be looking at selling it rather than buying it um, when it's reached that sort of euphoric level. And it's the yeah. same as, you know, when I go to a friend's barbecue and they're giving me stock tips and telling me how much money they've made on their stock portfolio. <laughs> I kind of sit back and I think, oh, time to think about maybe um, whether it's time to start selling some of the stocks in my portfolio. So yeah, if it's managed to mind. filter down, <laughs> if it's managed to filter down to the every, every person and suddenly everyone knows about it, then uh, it's probably a good sign to. Yeah, that the market's getting a bit euphoric. So yeah, yeah definitely emotion plays a big part, and um, you know, humans are emotional. We are emotional beings. So when that euphoria takes hold, it's time to be really cautious, I think. Mm. Now, my last question was, is there any big financial events that you are looking forward to sort of in the next six months? Uh, There's always lots of financial events um, that impact on the market, but I think the biggest ones at the moment are the interest rate decisions from central banks around the globe. And the biggest central bank is the US Federal Reserve. um, And they've been signaling that they're going to perhaps cut interest rates in the second half of the year. Um, now, this is significant because if they cut um, interest rates, then you'll probably see the Reserve Bank over here cut more aggressively as well. Um, the race for funding is a global race. So if the US cuts rate and the Reserve Bank of Australia is cutting rates, mm. um, they're sort of in competition for funds. So they'll probably have to cut faster to try and attract um, investors to our market. So, um that's going to have an impact on the markets. Uh, and look, in times of um, a falling interest rate environment, usually real assets, what we call real assets, that is things like building, office buildings, airports, things you can touch like real assets become quite popular. And in fact, um, just today on the markets, we saw Auckland Airports, AIA's the stock code, reach an all-time record high. It's traded at the highest price that we've ever seen it. And we've also seen stocks like Goodman Group, which looks at industrial properties. So they have these storage facilities for a lot of those internet type companies that look at selling things on the internet. uh, And that's been booming. So that reached a high today as well. And look, Sydney office has been, Sydney office property has been doing extremely well as well. So GPT hit a record on the market. So these real assets are starting to perform um, and perform well because we are in a falling interest rate environment. And if you think about it, you know, if you need to get um, a yield from your bank account or from your investments, you're not going to get much in your bank account at the moment. So where are you going to move to? You probably have to move higher up that risk curve. And a lot of retirees are probably having to look at the share market for that income because they're not getting it from their bank accounts. Mm, I think most of them cut interest rates on savings accounts in the last few weeks. Absolutely. The Reserve Bank um, cut interest rates uh, this month and we'll probably see another interest rate cut 
cut either in July or August. The market's pricing in definitely another interest rate cut by the Reserve Bank um, before the end of 2019, if not two. So that tells you that, you know, interest rates are likely to go lower here and the search for yield is going to probably move to a higher risk assets like the share market. Mm, It's definitely going to be an interesting six months to come and a brand new financial year to set goals for and get ready for. Exciting time, time to pop open the champagne Think about automating that uh, function to put money away in your bank account, uh, put away money into your long-term investment uh, account and hopefully build a lot of wealth. Yes, that's the goal. And I think it's so important just to get started. So if you get, if you mm-hmm. take nothing else out of today, just get started and do it on a regular basis. All right, Julia. Well, thank you so much for coming on the How To Money podcast today and sharing some of your knowledge with our listeners, and I hope they got something out of it. A pleasure, Kate. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd really appreciate if you could leave us a review on iTunes, as it helps us share our financial education content with more young Australians. If you want to send us any questions, comments, or feedback, you can find us at www.howtomoney.online and on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.